Good morning, everybody. Like you said, my name is Ian, um, and we have come almost to the end. We've been going through a series in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, and today uh, I'm going to hit verses 32 to 38, and next week, I know you've all been waiting for it, Travis, uh, he's going to bring us home what he started at the beginning of the summer, and he's going to preach on uh, verses 39 and 40. Um, and so we're excited about that. And we've been talking about the, the faith of these people. Um, and before I, I get into anything, I want to share kind of two stories that talk about um, faith and, and how faith is manifested and, and how we live through faith. Uh, and the first one it comes from my own experience um, one of my first missions trips, we brought a youth group to Dominican Republic, and we were so excited. We did um, a lot of things while we were down there, but we put in so much preparation into this trip. Um, we had a youth worship team, uh, and they were going down, and so they learned songs in Spanish, uh, and we, we had this keyboard that we were going to bring down to play with them. And uh, so we were super excited. We drove down. It was about two hours to get to JFK Airport in New York. Um, checking everything in, going through, and there's this little placard on the counter of check-in. And for whatever reason, there was an embargo on the Dominican Republic of anything over the weight of 75 pounds. That keyboard weighed a lot more than 75 pounds as somebody who had to help carry it. Um, so we're standing there getting ready. The vans have driven off, and we're in this airport, and the nice lady who, yeah, okay, she said, that piano's not getting on this plane. I'm sorry, we can't do it. And we gathered, we gathered the youth together. We started praying. We, we, you know, we believed that God wanted this to happen. You know, we had put in all of this effort. We were ready. We were believing God. And let me tell you, the impact of seeing that worship team play that piano in the Dominican Republic was amazing. It was awesome. It was such a way to start our trip that they told us, we can't make it happen. Piano can't go. And yet we prayed and we made it however it happened, but we got that piano on that plane. And it was such an awesome way to start the trip. Everybody was super excited. And what just this way that we saw our faith um, kind of just played out in the way that God moved on, on our behalf. The other story is when faith doesn't exactly go according to plan in the way that we would like. So I wasn't the most uh, avid in my faith growing up. As a kid, I grew up in a Christian household, but one time, very clearly that I remember, one of the first times that I remember kind of sharing my faith a little bit, or as much as I was, our church was putting on an event at our local civic center, um, bringing BMX bikes and rappers, and it was going to be this whole evangelistic outreach I was just going to draw people in. And I was in middle school at the time. And I said, okay, I'm going to pass these tickets out. I'm going to invite them, and they're going to come, 
and they're going to get saved, and it's going to be awesome, and I'm going to step out in faith and invite my friends. So I brought them to school. We're in the cafeteria, and across from me is Justin Gibson. still remember his name. I was thinking about this this morning, very vivid in my memory. Like, Justin, I want you to take this. I want you to look at this. Our church is putting this on. This is going to be this awesome event. You've got to come check it out. So I'm ready for his response. Um, he, he crumples up the ticket and proceeds to eat it. Like, literally to chew on this ticket that I had given him, um, which is pretty par for the course, I guess, for middle school boys. But still, I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, that's not the way this was supposed to go. <laughs> I'm stepping out in faith, and okay, uh, sure, better luck next time. Uh, so sometimes we step out in faith, and sometimes we're faithful, and our faith doesn't always manifest in the way that we would like. And we see that in this passage of Hebrews chapter 11. And I want to kind of give you an oversight before we get into the text. This takes us through the rest of the Old Testament. And I know a lot of us that have been up here have kind of been lamenting over the fact that we only had one verse and one story to preach about. The last time I was up here... Um, Joseph gave commands on his bones. Like, yeah, put a three-point sermon together with that. Um, but, so I was excited because I was like, 32 to 38, man, that's so much material, that's great. And then I read it, and I've got judges through Malachi. Like, how do you put, how do you take the Old Testament and put it into a sermon? And I was like, what? Okay, so we're going to start with Gideon, and then we're going to go through Barak, and then Samson, and then Jephthah, and then David, and then Samuel, and then all the prophets. So cancel your lunch reservations. We're going to be here a while. We're going to cover the entire Old Testament after the book of Joshua. And I said, what in the world? Let's, let's get into it. Hebrews chapter 11, because I figured it out, and we got this. Don't worry. Ver starting with verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back from their dead by resurrection. We'll just stop there. We don't need to. No, we got to keep going. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they may rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned they were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. Can I just pray one more time before we dive in? 
God, this passage of faith, these heroes, these people that we look at, Lord, as we read about this faith that we've spent so many weeks talking about, God, could we just go deeper in it? Lord, could you shine a light into how we can have this kind of faith? In your name we pray. Amen. So are you guys ready? There's a lot there. There's a lot to cover, and I get that. And I know you guys are really smart. I just know it. Because you saw that contradiction, right? You're like, how is it that some are spared by the sword and some die by it? You guys saw that, right? Yeah, you guys are smart. Uh, So we're going to get to that, but first we need to address the immediate question of what this faith is and why the author of Hebrews takes an entire chapter to talk about these people and to go through these stories. And it's because it's, you know, it's interesting. If you want to get somebody's attention, you say something more than once. Right? If you want to get somebody's attention, you say something more than once. If you want to get somebody's attention, oh, Ken's got it. Ken's paying, okay, he's got my, I've got his attention. He's trying to emphasize something here by going phrase after phrase after phrase and story after story after story, and he's hoping by the end of it, like, guys, you see what I'm doing here? His goal here in this closing refrain is to emphasize the rich history of faith in the nation of Israel. He's not a pastor who's run out of time and is getting waved down by the AV booth because he needs to wrap up his first point. He wants to make the audience aware of the legacy that they are a part of. In effect, he's saying, look at what you have. Look at what you are a part of. I don't even have time to tell you about all the people and all the things that have been brought about by the faith of God's people. He's taking just a sampling and he's trying to get our attention and saying, look, I've got this list here, but I can't even, I can't even begin to explain all of the different people throughout the history of the Old Testament that moved by faith, that acted in faith, and that brought about change through their faith in God. And he's trying to get us to understand, look at what you're a part of. This is who you are. You are, you are part of this. This lineage, this history. It's yours. This same faith that they tapped into is what you need to tap into now. The first thing that we need to understand is that there is a need for faith. He wouldn't spend an entire chapter telling these stories if it wasn't important. Because we now live in a culture where we can operate a successful church without faith. We have so many resources to make our churches grow that we don't need God. If we get the right formula, if we get the right marketing, if we get the right pastor, if we get the right song selection, if we get the right bullet, whatever it is, if we just get that right, 
we're going we're gonna to grow, and it's going to be amazing. But I'll tell you this. I want to be a part of a church that does not make strategic sense. I want to be a part of a church that people come to and say, what are you guys doing? How is this working? And we just, I don't know. We do what God tells us to do. That's the church that I want us to be. That's the church that I want us to be. Where God calls us by faith and we step out by faith and he multiplies it beyond what we could do. Kind of like taking two plus two and making eight. So we see the need for faith in Matthew 10, verses 16 to 23. Jesus is talking and he's saying, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will, be, will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next, for truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. We need to have faith in order to fulfill what God has called us to. If you're living in this life as a Christian and not relying on your faith, we're not doing it right. We're thinking too small. And I've said that before where God is calling us beyond ourselves. Travis talked about that one night at camp where he, he struggles with thinking that he's enough. And he came to a point where he understood that he wasn't and that he needed God. And I pray that for all of us. That we get to a point where we see what God is calling us to and understand, okay, God, I cannot do this on my own. I believe. Help my unbelief. What are we asking God for? What are we believing God for? We need to have faith to live the life that Christ has called us to. The second thing as we, as we dive into this and as we take a look and try and understand is the people that the author is listing. Who is he talking about? Who are these people that, that the author sees as worthy to be listed? The first thing we need to understand is that they were far from perfect. Yes. Count me in. That's my boat. Because I'm thankful that God doesn't see us the way that we see us. 
I'm thankful that he looks at our potential beyond what we see. The people that he lists, the judges, David, Samuel, Samson, all of them, even throughout the entire series, the entire chapter, every person who's talked about these people have, have not failed to mention that they were not perfect, that they were flawed. So if you're writing yourself off this morning and saying, well, look, Ian, you don't know, look, you don't know my struggles. You don't know my insecurities, my shortcomings. You don't know mine. And here I am. What right do I have to be up here? They were far from perfect. These people were faithful in the moment, and their deeds were great. Not in spite of their imperfection, but because of their imperfection. God was able to work through them because they didn't have their own strength. And we look at their lives, and I, and we, you know, I get it. These people were messed up. Read the story of Jephthah, and you're like, what an idiot! And yet still, he was able to be a judge and, and free the nation of Israel. Your life doesn't have to be perfect in order, to God, in order for God to work through you and accomplish mighty things. The second thing that we see in all these people is that they were faced with difficult odds. They were faced with difficult odds. When everything is stacked up against us, when nothing makes sense, when, when we look at the, the obstacles that are, that are against us, and when everything says, look, this is not going to work. When you're in the airport and you're standing in front of somebody who's saying, your piano is not going to make it on the plane. God loves the underdog. God loves the underdog because it's all the more opportunity. It's the bigger stage for him to boast and brag and show off and say, look how mighty I am that I can still do this. The third thing we see in this story is that people were willing to say yes. Russ did the morning devotionals and he, he did his thing and I I never get tired of hearing that, where he traces the, the spiritual generations of uh, the ministry that he's been able to be a part of in the Navigators. And he, he, he hit the nail on the head because he said, the thing that links all of these people together, they were willing to say yes. When Pushta came to shove, in the moment when they had to make a decision, they stepped out and they said, I'm willing to go. I'm willing to leave it all behind. They're not the rich young ruler who, who walked away sad because he wasn't able to sell all his possessions. They said, okay, let's put it up on Craigslist. We're going. They said yes. And that could be something big for you. It could be something small. But what is God calling you to say yes to this morning? Chances are, there's something. And if not, you need to 
Get this, ask. Say, God, what do you want me to do? How can I say yes? The last thing is that they were not the obvious choice. They were not the first choice. I love this. The introduction to Gideon in Judges chapter 6, verse 12. Uh, he's just kind of hanging out. And the angel of the Lord, it says, When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon's like, Who? Do you know who I am? He's the least in his family. His family was the least of his tribe. The tribe was the least in the nation of Israel. He was not the obvious choice. David, where was David when uh, Samuel came to anoint the king? He wasn't even in the list. He wasn't even in the running. And you see this pattern here? Do you see this pattern where the more you are unqualified, the more God wants to use you? We just need to get over ourselves. We need to get beyond the, it's almost, it's an ego thing. Because we're saying, I am so unworthy and so just, I, I can't do this. You can't use me. And God's like, who are you to say that I can't use you? Really? Do you know who I am? Who, who are you to say I can't use you? We need to get over ourselves and, and get out of our own way. Because then we can get to the really fun part. We can get to the act of faith. When God calls us, when we say yes, when we're ready, then we get to then we get to see God move. And what he's saying here, and, and, and I, I find it so interesting that he lists the people, but then he, he, uh, the acts of faith aren't specifically tied to an individual here. And we can probably infer for some of them, right? Quench, quench the power of the fire, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, let's just read through some of them because they're so much fun. Uh, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises. And it, it's so cool, and you can do this on your own time, but read through each of those and go back and find their stories about the people who, who he's kind of referring to here. But he doesn't have to name them by names, right? He's saying, here's a list of all the things that we can do by faith. Which one's going to be yours? They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. Samson, Daniel, few more, right? How cool is that? Who stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to fight. And even the last one, women received back their dead. By resurrection. I put, covers a pretty broad spectrum, right? About what we can do by faith. I think the author is he's trying to kind of give us a hint here like, your thing is too big. But all of these things, God was calling these people to. 
And your active faith is not going to be, is not going to be the same as somebody else's active faith. I heard this recently where somebody was, um, he was going through and he was talking about this and how so often we pray, God, give me the burning bush experience. I want a burning bush experience like Moses. He's like, no, Moses had the burning bush experience. That was for Moses. I'm giving you this. This is your thing. And so we have to, we have to be faithful to the act of faith that God is calling us to. There are some people who, who, who see somebody else's act of faith and, oh, I want that. I want to do that. That's a cool thing to do. Like, I want to heal people physically. Like, yeah, let's cast out demons. And God's saying, no, that's not what I'm calling you to do. He's saying, this is the act of faith that I'm asking you to step into. God isn't going to ask you to bring your son up to Mount Katahdin to sacrifice him. That was what he called Abraham to do. We need to understand that what God is calling you to is for you specifically. Don't aspire to the faith that other people are living out. That's their journey. We need to look at our active faith. Because then we see in verse 35, the second part of 35 to 38... We see the outcome of faith. And here's where there's, apparent, there's an apparent contradiction between the, faith, between the outcome of faithful people. How is it that people are saved from the edge of the sword and some die by it? And I think about the parents. I think about the parents who struggle with God. Lord, you healed their child. Why did you not heal mine? Was their faith greater than mine? That's not what this is getting at here. There's two things that we need to see in the outcome of faith. There's a personal and a universal. There's a personal... Active faith. We see that when Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. What, a, what an amazing picture of personal outcome in faith. That's what we have to look forward to. We get stuck in this rut of thinking that this is our only reality, that here and now is all we have, and God has to manifest His, His faithfulness to us now. But if we are faithful, we need to understand that maybe, just maybe, God is saying, wait. Your reward is coming. Not here. Not in this life. But if you are faithful to me, you will receive a hundred times as much 
and will inherit eternal life. That's the personal. And sometimes he will answer it. Sometimes he does heal. And we get that. And sometimes he doesn't. But there's a universal outcome of faith as well. God gets glorified. God gets glorified. As much as he does in answering with an affirmative as when it's, an, as when it's an, a negative. There is victory in victory and there is victory in defeat. God gets glorified either way. And at the end of my message, I'm going to kind of share a little bit about that. But I think of all the times that people were faithful and persevered in their faith and died by the sword. And you know what happens? The church grows. The church grows. I'm thinking about, uh, we had missionary friends when I was growing up that my, uh, my parents supported. They were missionaries to Zambia. And uh, they were pregnant. And there was complications with the pregnancy and the whole church and everyone came around them. And they were just praying and praying and praying. And they had so much faith. And they trusted God. And it didn't work out. The child didn't survive. And they struggled and they, and they, they questioned God. They questioned their calling. They, they were frustrated. They were grieving. They didn't understand. God, we prayed faithfully for you to do this. Why would you not grant this request? We have faith. We're believing that you can do this. And it took them years. But they finally came back. And the message that they had, the understanding that they had to come to, was that the people that they were ministering to in Zambia were in such a state because of AIDS, because of malnutrition, because of just the, the state of their poverty, that there were so many orphans. There were so many parents who lost their kids. And they said, because of the experience that we have gone through, we can now relate to these people at a level that we were never going to be able to before. The commonality of our experience has given us a way that we can minister to them and a connection that we have now and I can't, I can't imagine having to come to that. What faith that must have to go through that and then to come out the other side and have God be glorified in that because they can now minister more effectively to these people who so often lose their children. God gets glorified. In 2 Timothy 2, 10-13, we see this. Paul writes, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, those God will save, that they too may obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. 
Paul was willing to endure whatever so that we could have his example. And his faith, we're living by his faith today. How many of us have been encouraged by the example of Paul and the difficulties that he went through? He understood that. That's why he was willing to go through the persecution and the suffering that he did. Because he knew what was on the other side. He said, here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. But if we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. If we, if we died with him, we will live with him. What are we willing to endure for the glory of God? What are we willing to say yes to for the sake of the salvations of others? How many people groups are still unreached because God called a missionary? And they pulled to Jonah. How many people are not being saved today because we were not willing to go forth? That's a very difficult question, but it's one that we need to face. I want to close this morning with a little exercise. Not physical exercise. We're not doing jumping jacks. Um, but the, the author of Hebrews uses this example and he looked back at the examples that he had. Right? And so we could spend days and weeks going through the story of faith of people in the New Testament, of Peter, of Paul, of all the apostles. But I want to I want to I want to have this hit home a little closer. And really try and convey the message that he was trying to get across. The same way that the author of Hebrew reminds us of the heritage Christians have. Is something that we can do for us today. So could I share the faith of a few people with you? How about Billy Graham? The same faith that Billy Graham had to do what he did is in this room. Now, remember, let's go back. Are you going to be Billy Graham? No. But the same power and the same faithfulness that Billy Graham had as possible for us today. How about George Mueller? Anybody know George Mueller? I'm sorry, I did that with my 10th graders, so it's going to take me a while to figure out um, when I was a counselor. Okay, George Mueller. If you don't know who George Mueller was, um, he was a uh, German, and uh, he was a missionary, and he opened an orphanage. 10,000 kids in his lifetime. He opened schools 
over 100,000 kids that he taught in his schools. He, he did so much work that the people in British were starting to get a little uh, up in arms about it because he said, you're, you're, you're upsetting the natural social order here. You're taking people who are supposed to be at the bottom and you're lifting them up. You know the interesting thing about George Mueller? Never asked for support. Never solicited funds. He's got an autobiography and he talks about times where he would kind of get to the end of his rope and he didn't have enough food and he didn't know how he was going to feed people and the baker would just come and drop off bread. He didn't know how he would pay to sustain everything and people would just drop off money. And he kept meticulous records of everybody who supported him. Everything that came in, he said, whether it was a hundred thousand pounds, whether it was a thousand pounds or an old teaspoon. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, pastor in Germany, who understood the evil of Nazi Germany and who was willing to step out and put faith into his actions and was eventually executed for it. Another interesting one. Her name is Queen. Uh, I was going to remember this. Ethel Berga. Anybody know Queen Ethel Berga? She's a looker. Because um, I wanted to go through history and, and kind of just and do some research. Queen Ethel Berga. She was born in 605. Christian woman, brought up in a Christian household, and she was married to King Edwin who was a pagan Saxon in the south of England. Through her faithfulness, she eventually brought his household to the faith. And then all of southern England. And it was said about the reign of King Edwin that a, a mother and her child could walk from one end of the country to the other without fear of danger. Because of her faithfulness. Susanna Wesley. Anybody know her? Oh, yeah. She's the mother of two people you might know. John and Charles Wesley. And if you're wondering where they got their faith from, oh, boy, read up on Susanna. She said this, Take this rule, whatever weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, or takes off the relish of spiritual things. In short, whatever increases the strength and authority of your body over your mind, that thing is sin to you, however innocent it may be in itself. From her letter to her son in 1725. She lost nine children. I don't even have nine children. And yet she was still so faithful in teaching her sons. And we see... The, the benefit and the manifestation of that. She, uh, her husband left at some point for a while to go help a friend or something like that. And uh, she wasn't supposed to teach or preach or whatever like that. That wasn't her place. She said, I'm going to do it anyway. She had over 200 people meeting with her in a Bible study. You think growing up with that, you're not going to be impacted? Elizabeth Elliot. Man, you are... You know, 
Somebody needs to sit next to him and cheat off him. He knows all the answers. Uh, Elizabeth Elliot was the husband of Jim Elliot. Jim Elliot, that ring a bell? He went and ministered to the <clears throat> uh, Huarani people. They were going to go and van- evangelize. This was an unreached people group. And they established contact, but eventually were murdered by, by these tribal people. So Elizabeth Elliot, uh, being a grieving widow, she decided, I'm just going to give up, and I'm not going to pursue this anymore. Um, she actually went back and ministered to the people that murdered her husband, and eventually converted many of them to Christ. One more. You could put that picture up. The next one. How about these guys? Anybody know who they are? It's a little more recent, a little closer to home. These are the ones who didn't escape the edge of the sword. These are the ones who died by the sword. No less faith. In fact, maybe even more faith, to be honest. Their faith is your faith. We're all in this together. These are Egyptian Christians who are being led to their execution by ISIS because they won't renounce their faith. The world is not worthy of these people. And yet here they stand for us. And rather, block, and rather than block out this unfortunate memory and incident, as I believe the enemy would want us to do, man, we're going to remember these people. We're going to be encouraged by these people, by George Mueller, by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, by Elizabeth Elliot. And, and you guys see where, where the author of Hebrews is coming from? We could do this all day. I spent five minutes researching this and came up with these names. How many people throughout the history of the Christian faith have made a difference through their faith? Um, there were two, uh, Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King Jr. And, and the, the thing about Martin Luther King Jr. that happened to me a few years ago, uh, great man of faith, you know, when they talk about administer, administer the justice thing. And um, when I found out a, a, a few years ago about his infidelity, I was crushed. I was like, MLK? That guy was perfect. And yet it goes back. We're all flawed people, right? None of us are perfect. We don't need to venerate anybody. But we look at the act of faith that all of these people did in their imperfectness, and we say, I can do something like that too. I can do something like that too. You can throw the last one up there. This is the, uh, this is the Arabic, maybe you guys have seen this, this is the Arabic symbol. It's the first letter of the word Nazarene. In the Middle East, they'll put it on your door so they know that you're a Christian, so they can target you. Oh, but man, how that backfired. Because how many times I saw this around the world of people who took this mark and said, that's me. I'm with those people. And how many people were encouraged by seeing this symbol 
The worship team can come up. We're going to close out. I want to close with this quote from A.W. Tozer. He said, there are rare Christians whose very presence incites us to be better Christians. I want to be that rare Christian. I want my very presence to stir you into faith. My question and my challenge this morning for us as a church, for you as an individual, are you going to be on that list? Are people going to look at Summit and see, do you know their faith? Do you see what they've been able to do? That's a difficult question. But it's one I hope we can say yes to. Let's pray. God, you have called us to something so great because you love us so much. You have so much in store for us. So much that you want to do through us. Lord, my heart is that people come to this church and follow this model of faith. That people see us living this out. That years from now, when all of us are gone, they're going to look back and say, that's what the people of Summit did. Look at how they changed the world around them. God, it's not an easy thing to do. And sometimes we're going to have to give up something that is so dear to us. But Lord, as we've talked about for weeks now, there is a reward that is waiting for us. There is a prize. So would you implant it so deep in our heart, the certainty and the assurance, God, that you are waiting for us to welcome us as we stand before that cloud of witnesses. And that when we enter into the gates of heaven, you say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. In your name we pray. Amen.